Hi, it's Mike Crawford. Welcome to the Young Jerks Podcast. Tonight's episode will feature an interview with Andrew Kimmel, who shared a whole lot with the world this week through a series of tweets about losing his father, Stephen Kimmel, to suicide and how the lack of mental health care in America really did lead to the situation. It's personal, it's tragic. It's a conversation that needs to happen in America. We're talking about health care tonight. We're talking about mental health care. We're talking about suicide prevention. this week and I, I was just uh, really touched just and it's really tough to read and, and just imagine what you went through um, so I definitely wanted to reach out on, on you know awesome my condolences to you I know it's been almost a year but it, it's really hard to read and I just can't even imagine uh, what you must be feeling still at this point so I really want to thank you number one for just agreeing to speak to me on this tonight um, and I didn't even know where to start. Where, where would you like to start on this? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one to, to answer just because it's, you know, it's so, there's just so much to talk about in terms of mental health, uh, the crisis that's going on with, you know, our aging population, family issues, you know, the lack of any assistance across the board. I mean, yeah, so it, it, I don't know where to start. It's really hard because this, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I think about this, like, you know, sometimes we're almost too educated on, uh, you know, the, just the issue. This is a really, you know, between retirement, savings, long-term care, all and, you know, all the things that you're touching on. Um, wow, I'm, I mean, I guess uh, you know, what I would like to start with, I guess, is, a little bit about your family and about your father uh, to hear more about him it seems like he was a great guy and, and you really loved him so I would, I would uh, well, what was his name? his name was Stephen Steve Kimmel Steve okay yeah um, you know my, my dad provided myself and my sisters with a really great upbringing um, you know upper middle class family um at some points, actually, even in upper class, it felt like. Um, but, you know, we, we were raised in a, a really nice suburban New Jersey town, um, had great schools, um, you know, lived in a nice house. Uh, we were provided with everything, 
you know um, there was certain there was a period of time where I do remember you know my dad did have some financial issues when I was growing up but he was able to bounce back and you know we were living in an apartment complex at the time and then he was able to you know purchase a home after that so you know there, there certainly were some bumps along the way but none that I even really remember none, none that, that really you know altered my childhood which you know I have to give a lot of credit to my parents for you know making everything you know the child my childhood as uh, as wonderful as possible even with some of those those bumps um, but yeah my, my dad had an incredible work ethic uh, he, he was constantly traveling around the world he was a, a clothing manufacturer so he had factories you know in Asia uh, the Middle East at, at some point it was Central America I mean he was all over the place um, and so just, just I guess, watching him travel and, and try and provide for the family. I mean, he, he did. He, he devoted a lot of time to that, and, and he, he, he created a great life for all of us. And then things changed. Um, and it you know, was really, your sister had mental health issues. Yeah, so, you know, what I think that that for me was the the first major turning point when I when things started to just kind of go downhill. Um, you know, there there of course there was the, the financial crisis of 2008, which I think also was a very stressful time for for my dad, my parents, uh, but particularly my my dad. Um, but it was at that same time my sister graduated from college. She was a year above me. Um, she graduated with honors, um, you know, from a very distinguished university. And she was living and working in New York City for about a year after graduating. And that was when, that was when, you know, it was right after I graduated, I, I started noticing certain things that she would say that made me, you know, kind of scratch my head and it's like, oh, that's a, that's a weird thing to say. Um, but within, I guess, five months of, of graduating from college for, for me was the first incident in where she, I think, stole something and got caught. And she was taken into, a, you know, a, 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 a psych ward. Um, because apparently she wasn't making much sense to the officers. And that was the first time I, I went with my parents to, to see her. Um, I was home at the time, and, and I remember looking, and she was just behind this door, kind of like pacing back and forth. And when she looked at me, it was strange because I didn't really see much color in her eyes. It was like a, a, complete, a completely different person. And that was the, that was the first, you know real incident that I, I can recall that was a serious incident that we started realizing something isn't right. And, and from there, your father spent a, a lot of money on her care in, in Massachusetts. I know some of them, you know, were spent at a, on a farm. But yeah. And cost of that care, I mean, it was out of control, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and this is the thing, you know, at that time, she did have private insurance. Um, and it was good insurance, 
but first of all, we didn't know what was wrong with her. Doctors couldn't seem to figure it out. Um, she was still very high-functioning. In fact, she still is to this day, you know, according to doctors, high-functioning, even though in reality I don't think she'd be able to live on her own. Um, but yeah, you know, this, this started to become more re- uh, prevalent, and we, we, my parents um, were looking for whatever and wherever they could that could potentially help treat her. And nothing within insurance really did anything. Um, you know, if she were to be put into a, a, a hospital or a psych ward, they'd keep her for a few days. They'd say, oh, okay, well, you know, she's, she's functioning and she's fine. So, uh, yep, she will, we'll, we, we, have to, we have to send her out. You know, they didn't have any answers. Um, and so my dad started looking at other programs that, you know, had some sort of track record with mental health um, illnesses um, that did have some success. And so he started, you know, trying to, to get my sister involved in these programs. She, he would get her into the programs, which was a process in terms of interviewing, um, would pay for her to get into these programs, which none of them were ever covered by, by insurance. Um, and at the end of the day, she would A, either be thrown out because she wasn't being compliant, or the other option would be they would just say, yeah, listen, we, we can't help her. This isn't, you know, this isn't a good program for her. Um, and a big part of that is because she still to this day believes that there's nothing wrong with her. Sorry, my husband. Um, yeah, so... She still, to this day, um, doesn't believe that there's anything wrong with her, which is part of the biggest problem, because if she's refusing to take any sort of medication, you know, you can't force her to do that. Um, And if she's not taking the medication, she's not getting better. And if she's not getting better, it just continues to get worse, the spiral. And so... This is what started this cycle where, you know, my parents would have to somehow get her into a hospital um, known as a 5150, you know, someone that has to be taken in and held for at least, I believe, 72 hours because they're a danger to themselves or to others. Um, and what would happen then is that the, the hospital would, would give her medication. Yeah. Um, and my parents started, you know, this sort of process where they would plead with doctors and nurses to keep her there for a longer period of time to get her back into a cycle, um, you know, a, a, a routine with medication. And there were, there were hospital visits where she would actually stay for three months. I think the three months might have been the longest one at a, at a facility in New Jersey. And, you know, she would get into a routine with medication, and it got better. And by better, I mean not back to where she was, but, you know, manageable and someone that is nice to be around. Right. And and so that was great, but then this is where the cycle would always make the turn. 
the, the uh, you know, the had a great spot. They'd let her out. My parents would have to take care of her again. She would refuse to, you know, continue medication, or she would just stop taking it and not tell anyone. And then the cycle continued. And that just went on for 11 years. Oh, wow. And your full parents. And, and you, you're, you too. I mean, your, your family has been through. And, and then your, your father basically liquidated all his assets to try to help help her. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it's hard to even put into words because you can't fully understand what it's like to live with it unless you live with it. I can't imagine. And I, my, it got to a point where my dad actually called me. This was probably back in 2000, I would say 2012, 2013. My dad called me and he said, listen, I don't know what I can do can't stay here anymore like I'm losing my mind you know your sister's got to come live with you in California and I said okay and she moved into my apartment I mean she slept on the couch I think she was there for a month or two until I told my dad that I couldn't do it anymore I lasted a month or two (laughs) so you know that I can't even imagine 11 years, 10, 11 years. It I mean, seems like, yeah, it's unconscionable that we're doing this to people. I mean, the, yeah. that we, we get them better for two months, three months, like you said, and then we send them back out when we know that, you know, it's just, and we put it all on your, on your, your dad and your family. It's just, un, un, it's not right. Um, well, I mean, and, and, I mean the, the story, your story is so heartbreaking. I just, <laughs> I have a hard time asking questions about it because I feel bad. Like it's hard to talk about it. Really, I, I that's why I, um, I think you're heroic for what you did this week on that Twitter. I mean, people. Well, I, let me ask you this: What was the response? Like, did you? What was the? Because I saw a big response, but I want to know from your viewpoint: What was the response like when you posted the story, this full story, to Twitter? Well, uh, first, I, I got to say that I was on the fence originally as to whether or not I should even do it, but, you know, I, I wrote I wrote this, I just started writing this down because I was thinking about some way on the year anniversary of what happened to honor my dad, and I, I was going back and forth, and then eventually I said, you know what, this is, this is the reality, this is what happened. And I know that I'm not the only person that's dealing with this because I've spoken to people about it. And when I mentioned what happened with our family, people that I, in, in, in person conversations, would say, oh my God, yes, yeah, something similar happened to me as well. So, you know, with that in my mind, I said, I'm going to put this out there. I have nothing to hide. You know, this is the reality. And. We'll see what we'll see what happens. I did not expect to receive so much support and overwhelming support um, of posting this thread. I I expected you know I expected a lot of trolls to come out you know because I I am quite active on on Twitter and and have been quite political and so you know I figured. I, I, 
this would have attracted a lot of bad, bad people. And I gotta tell you, I don't think there, there might have been one or two terrible comments, and that was it. Everything else was just so friendly, supportive, full of love. Um, I, I, I haven't even gone through the, the messages that were sent. As you say, there must be so many because I saw like ten thousand. It, it got up to that point, right? That type of response. Yeah, but even even just the the direct messages that started coming in, like that's where I found your message. I, I yeah. First of all, I couldn't even I couldn't even respond to anyone on the day because I read one message that was sent to me and I started crying and I'm like, you know what, I I can't. Um, but I'm going to try my best to get through all the direct messages that people sent me, which are hundreds of them, and all of them are talking about similar situations oh, wow. that they themselves are currently or have already lived in that ended or heading towards a similar outcome such as my story. And that, to me, really, really woke me up because, first of all, I, <laughs> I have to read through all of these still, but the, the probably 50 that I've read so far were that. And that, to me, says we need to wake up, we need to do something about this, that this is not obviously an isolated incident, um, and that it needs to be spoken about. Definitely. And that is the biggest problem, is that yeah. nobody wants to speak about it. Uh, you know, for the last 11 years, I never really spoke about it, because what are you going to say? It's, it's a difficult thing. If I'm out with friends, how do I start talking about this? And it's such a down, you know, depressing topic that, for me, going out and, and speaking and hanging out with friends, it's the last thing I want to talk about. Sure. Right. You know, that's my escape. Um, but I think, especially after seeing the response to this, it is incredibly important that all of us that are dealing with similar situations get out and openly talk about it. Because, of course, there's the stigma. Um, of course, there's these concerns over privacy. But we're not getting support from our government, and we're not getting really any support from, from you know, our insurance and our health companies, it's, it's up to us to be our only support, which is a sad thing, but if everyone gets together in terms of individuals and families to take a stand and to demand care. It, it is shocking. I mean, I, I've... Uh... You know, a guy I follow, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. His name's Luke O'Neill. He used to write at a uh, publication that I would sometimes write for, a local guy in Boston, kind of gone national writer. And he's been uh, writing a lot about people in similar situations, like, you know, people to the GoFundMe's, you know, for healthcare, and people, yeah. people dying because they, they didn't raise that extra $100 on yeah. GoFundMe. It, 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 and the hospital saying, you know what, you don't have enough of a social network, so you can't get health care because your GoFundMe is, you know, not going to go anywhere. I mean, that, that's how we're deciding lives. And um, I just interviewed a, a gentleman last week, a similar situation with his friend who passed away, and his name was Ken Jacobs. And it's just, uh, it's just really, these are really hard stories to cover, but I, I definitely want to do more of them. So if you 
have you know anyone in your inbox or anyone who's listening who wants to share their story I'm down to share more of these stories because this concerns me this concerns everyone I know this is an ongoing thing and and it's an epidemic I would say this is an epidemic we talk about the opioid epidemic well that's part of it it's all connected you know this and homelessness it's like we have a healthcare epidemic in this country and I, I see it and I'm so proud of Andrew for speaking up about your father and what happened um what what do you want people to know like you know just to from you to them uh man I I I from me to them I would say if you're struggling with family members that are going through a similar situation you got to open yourself up to any sort of assistance that you can get because you're not going to be able to do it alone no one can it's just too much it's just too much to bear and 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 it's a very heavy thing that you can't do alone um the other thing i would say is you know if you are living with someone that is struggling or someone gives any sort of mention or even jokes about killing themselves take it seriously because never in a million years would I have thought that my dad would have done this and uh you know looking back there were little very tiny signs um that I just I didn't even I didn't even consider that would be an option and so you know that's that's it's a hard thing to do though because nobody in their right mind wants to ever think that the person that they love is capable of doing something or is in that position but um yeah i mean my dad did drop little little signs and i i didn't take him seriously or or even consider that that was an option you talked about Jack going to talk to someone getting help uh, are you i'm sure you're getting some help i mean are you Yeah, so I um this is the other unbelievable thing, you know. So I moved back to California after all of this happened and uh, you know, my mother is still out here, my sister, it just made sense. Um so with my health insurance, which I'm spending $530 at that time, it's now $560 plus a month for my health insurance. Um I could not find a therapist to speak to. Every number that I called was not taking new patients and had a wait list. And it wasn't until I I I didn't break down, but I pretty much I think they could hear the desperation in my voice because I started telling these doctors everything that I just went through and I needed to speak to someone. But it took months to get in the door anywhere. Mm. So for even as like a preventive, you know, preventative measure, someone like myself who, you know, I had maintained some level of, you know, sanity, I couldn't even get in the door to speak with a therapist for months. And that is a huge problem. And again, I'm spending $500 and now $60 a month on health insurance. Imagine people 
Imagine people that, that can A, afford that, and B, don't have health insurance at all. They're never going to see anyone. Well, they give up, too. Like, you know, how exactly. hard you make it. Like, most people give up after a while. It's just, you know, you only can bang your head against the wall so many times. Yeah, and, and there was a point as well, just to mention that, you know, for a lot of this stuff that my dad was paying out of pocket, um, not the programs, but some of the treatments and medications, um, you know, you have to go through this whole uh, process of, you know, sending them to the insurance companies to process potential refunds. My dad ended up hiring someone to do it for him. Two different people, and both of them quit. Just because the paperwork was so intense and so confusing that they couldn't even do it. So, you know, my dad was trying to do it, and meanwhile, he's working a job to support, you know, my mom and my sister and in Stengel. And, you know, also taking care of my sister is its own full-time job, and, you know, it, it's just unbelievable how difficult they make it in this country. It, it really is. It's, uh, I mean, what, what what would you like to see happen? What what do you think the solutions are? I mean, I think most of us know, but yeah, you know, I, I think first the solution is mental health care needs to be implemented back as it was. Um, I think it was before Reagan, um, where there were facilities that were funded by the government that took care of people that needed the care. And that's also why you see uh, one of the reasons why, you know, there was a rise in, in homelessness, uh, because a lot of these people are suffering from mental illness and have nowhere else to go. It's either the streets or it's prison. Or, in the instance of my sister, at home, where she's not receiving proper medical attention. So I would say what I really would like to see is is mental health care coming back to where it was in this country and in fact surpassing where it was uh, back when there were government funded institutions and care for those that needed it. Um, so you know whether that means it's, it's a, a Medicare for all system, I don't know, but just Starting with mental health care, at least, would help so many people around the country. I definitely think so. Um, I, I, one last question I want to ask you. Um, having been through all this it, it, and seeing the response to your, you know, your tweet got, you know, well, actually several several posts got on Twitter this week. Do you like think about like what's next or being maybe being an advocate or starting an organization or working with an organization or working on campaigns I, I know that you're in the politics you, you've done television you're, uh, you're a television producer is that correct? Yeah I did television I did news um, I worked on my own independent doc, doc project with refugees so I've got kind of a <laughs> mix of, of mediums there so what, what 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 are you thinking next? Like, what are you? Well, um, you know, since everything happened with my dad, um, his death actually kind of sparked something in me. Um, so even before, obviously, these tweets, but um, 
it was a, a an idea that I've now implemented and started a company. Um, and the idea is conversational video technology. And so this came to me because I was thinking about all the things that I I wish I could could have said to my dad and was unable to. And if I had the ability to film an interview with him before he passed, maybe I, I still could have that chance. And so from that, it 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 gave me this concept, and and I've been building this company since August, actually, and um, hopefully that will pan out. And and so the idea is it's a platform where you can speak to pre-recorded video, just as you would with Siri or Alexa, and. Um, the hope would be to implement and, and, and give that technology to various organizations to make it easier for people to speak to someone else. So if you're feeling depressed or sad, you can talk to a pre-recorded video, um, either to get more information or just to feel like you're not alone. Um, and so that's that's where I'm at right now. And what's the name of that, that, that company? company? Uh, it's called Aura Nexus. And, uh, yeah, so just, you know, the idea of, of taking someone's spirit or soul and connecting it with you so that you have that, that chance to, to speak with them. That is pretty amazing. I think that's, uh, I, I lost my best friend, uh, like, I think it's been six years now, and I have a lot of video of him on YouTube and things like that, so I get to watch that, but I always want more of it, you know, if that's so... I can definitely tell yeah. how, how people would like that. And for me, it was just imagine, you know, having this ability to see a loved one of yours sitting, you know, right in front of you, looking at you, and, you know, if you're having a rough day, you can say, you know, you know, Dad, do you have any words of inspiration for me? And he would start talking and giving you words of inspiration. It's amazing. You know, it's, 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 it's something that... I think would be a, a really powerful thing. Oh, I, I think that's that is that's amazing, Andrew. Oh, I yeah. thank yeah, I thank you so much for speaking to us tonight and, and again sharing the story of you know what your family went through, um, and, and especially about your father. I mean, Stephen it sounds like he was a great great guy and. Not easy. I mean, it's it's only been it's been less than a year, right? It's been a year uh, on June first. June first. Wow. So it was a year. So we just we yeah. just went through that anniversary. Wow. That's uh, so this this is a tough time. Um, I I just wish you the best. I think you're you're awesome. And just as soon as I read your tweet, I was I was just even now I'm talking about goosebumps. You know. Because I know how much you love your father, I can tell. Well, it means a lot to, to hear that, and also just that you reached out, you know, is really, really something special. And uh, the more I think people talk about it, and especially with getting my dad's story out there, it's un, unreal. You know, his name and his picture, actually, it wasn't his name. I didn't even post his name. Yeah, the picture and his story. Yeah, I was like, he never actually posted the name. It's so interesting. But you posted the pictures, and I didn't want to. To be honest, I didn't want to. I didn't want to 
really include the name. I didn't even think it was going to go viral like this, but, you know, regardless, the fact that his story and his picture has literally traveled around the world. It really has. There's people that that shared it that are posting it in in French, someone from Uganda, um, Amsterdam, Qatar, like, I mean... What 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 better I guess homage or, or honor than getting a, a, a trip around the world? <laughs> it's unreal. I mean, I I noticed uh, I was speaking to one of my friends earlier tonight, and I told him I'd be interviewing you. And he was like, "Oh my God, I read his tweet. I know who you're talking about." <laughs> oh my God. So it's like everybody. Um, you know, I know you're pretty progressive, but uh, one of the most controversial. Uh, kind of right-wing radio host in Boston, probably the most popular one. He reposted it, and that's how I found it. <laughs> so, really? At all spectrum, his name's Kirk Minahan. Oh, man. I know, well, I, I did I was looking at some of the people that, that, that did share it, and I did notice there were a lot of, like, conservatives, and that was, that, was, that to me, and was so fascinating. And I will say, yeah, it, it, I was, it, I was, it, it, yeah. If Kirk hits you up, I, I, I kind of despise the guy, but he said his own mental health issues, and I think he would do an excellent podcast with you, and a million people would listen to it. So listen, if you man, Kirk Minahan, respond to him. <laughs> I, will, I will. Listen, this is the thing. You know, this is not a political topic. It exactly. should not be a political topic. No, it's, it's a human issue, and you know what? We all need, and if we don't have it, a greater sense of empathy. And That's that right. is that is a human a human thing that we all have the ability to 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 I guess grow a deeper sense of a better understanding of one another. At the end of the day, all we want is what's best for our families and our loved ones. So this surpasses any sort of political, you know, uh, left or right. And that's what I found fascinating is seeing a lot of conservatives and liberals. All politics aside, it was, oh my God, we need to do something about this. You know, bring, bringing that back, this is a good point to end on. Um, because right now, it seems like there's so much going on in DC, but it's not issues like this. There's no, they're not talking about this. This is like an epidemic to me. Like, the mental health issue, I see this every day. Um, my, my friends and family, we're losing people all the time, all the time. Yeah, whether it's suicide or something else, or overdose, or so many things, they're all going back to the same thing: this mental illness. And and I know the Facebook and the Twitter doesn't help people either. On top of no, that, does not help. So, um, I, do you? Why do you think they're not talking about it? Why do you think that this isn't like a national? I mean, you hear the opiates; they're talking about opiate epidemic all the time, but I just don't hear the urgency for mental yeah. illness. Yeah. You know, because mental health is a very scary thing to many people. There's a stigma around it. The way that it's portrayed in media is this inaccurate, you know, depiction of people coming after you and killing you. And, you know, but that's not the case. And I think one of the main reasons why people don't talk about it, so of course it's a stigma, but it's also very expensive. And people aren't willing to, I think, put their money where their mouth is. And that goes for 
politicians, whether they're beholden to, you know, uh, pharmaceutical, big pharma or, or, you know, corporate interests, and they don't want to talk about it because, I don't know, that affects profits. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's one of those things that I just, I don't know. I'm not an expert on this. I just know my personal story, and I think it just, people should be talking about this more and making it a, a topic that you can't ignore anymore. Whether you're a politician, whether you're a news anchor, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we're open about it, I think the more open and, and more willing um, we will be to, to actually dealing with it. Yeah, I think people like you haven't spoken up before. I really, I really feel like that's part of it. The conversation is going to make a big difference because I think a lot of people did see that this week and I think that it's going to inspire more people to, to, to take a similar stance. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much again. Um, I really appreciate the time. And is, if there's anything else you ever want to share with us, definitely hit me up. Anything you need from us. Awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate it, and thank you for reaching out, and thanks for the time. And uh, you know, thanks for sharing and spreading the message. Uh, you too. Lot. And uh, I wish you the the very best. All right, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Have a good one. You too. Good night. Good night.